0: Please enjoy the the sound of the bell to invite us into a time of sitting together. our opportunity to be together in an actual physical place to sit together in the zendo to practice together in a uh, in a retreat or sit together with someone a friend in your home maybe having tea or reading together. All of this is so uncertain these days. We have an opportunity, then it fades away, then it returns. Right now, the majority of us are sitting on our own. Some of you have someone with you. and we orient to the, the screen and the small speaker that is carrying my voice to you now. But if you would, do your best to imagine embodied a presence with other people. The distance may be further. Imagine sitting with That maybe you could feel the warmth of a body that's somewhat close to you or hear someone rustle as they change their posture, cough or clear their throat. Maybe someone comes in late and you hear them and gently finding their seat. But allow yourself as best you can to extend your embodied feeling for others with the sense that we're actually sitting together. Not simply virtually. great nourishing human gift of, of presence. just a moment, I'll invite the bell to signal the end of our silent sitting and then we will um, use our voices to invoke the, the verse of the robe, the robe chant. <clears throat> and notice that as we do, we're actually calling forward this reality of embodied presence in an everyday, ordinary way, and in the vast inconceivable way, both at the same time. So as you say the words, allow yourself to realize that bridge, that connection, that fullness of presence. In me, my body's still clearing itself. <clears throat> you know, our uh, our practice center and our community, and my role um, isn't as a social commentator or. Um, a scientist or a politician or or anything else, a pundit certainly, or a news person. We also can't uh, stand away from, of course, the strong currents of things that are swirling around us. And so the invitation is how to meet them as best we can, given what our community and our practices are for. which is freedom from unnecessary suffering in the midst of this dynamic kind of world. A couple of years ago, I gave a presentation both in Madison and also in Austin for Seton Cove, a spiritual education center. And I used a hybrid title because it was so useful. They weren't my words. Um, one part of the title came from a book on aging by uh, the wonderful American uh, Quaker teacher and educator Parker Palmer, and another by one of our Zen, uh, contemporary Zen teachers, Joan Halifax. And I, I wedded part of their book titles together. And this, which reflects, I think, where we are today, I, I called it On the Brink of Everything where fear and courage meet. On the Brink of Everything was Parker Palmer's title for his book. He had a different subtitle. And the subtitle on Joan Halifax's book on Edge States was Where Fear and Courage Meet. Because as we see what's happening around us, how in the world are we ever going to make our way forward? How are we going to survive and even thrive in face of such, um, I don't know about you, but for me, it's like turmoil and terror. Because we do stand on the brink of everything. Uh, Environmentally, politically, culturally, uh, even personally. And so uh, the questions that I bring to you and that I think about when I'm speaking to you, it's like how do our spiritual practices and especially this wonderful blessed community of spiritual friends how do the practices in our our community support us and encourage us as we navigate this territory where fear and courage meet because if our If our practices have proven to be worthy of our dedicated effort and if our communities really are a place of respite and renewal, then I'd say now is the time to commit to them as if our lives depended on them, because they do. Everything is in the balance and everything counts. And everyone matters. And there's a but here. <laughs> you know, all this sounds very dramatic, you know, in some ways, although I, I think it's a reflection of my, my experience. I don't know about you. The but is, but you know what? This is how it's always been. And certainly the history in this country, and would I would I'd imagine We have folks from the UK and and other folks. Um, But the history of our country here certainly demonstrate that the kind of patterns we're seeing have happened before, and it's the way it was for the Buddha, and it was the way it was for all of our Zen ancestors. The, The Buddha survived assassination attempts. Terrible things happened. Famines, wars, awful, awful things. Apparently it's the way with humans. Circumstances do change over time, Um, but there's always been challenges which go to the very heart of uh, our life and of survival. So when I, I said earlier, now is the time to commit to our practices as if our lives depended on them, because they do. Um, this is a moment when we see a lot of things in the balance and we want to make sure everything and everyone counts. But, another but. (laughs) When I say that, it's just another way of saying what I say every single time in a certain way, is that it's another way of saying impermanence is the basis of reality. And the things we call challenges, those are particular ways in which we're facing the expressions of mutual causality. How uh, everything is happening uh, all the time and is dependent on everything else. Everything and everyone matters because we're all implicated in everything. Part of the, part of the problem for a lot of us is that we've lived through um, some pretty good times. And then when it begins to change, there's a sense of betrayal. And our practice isn't a place to go to find solutions. Gosh, if I just practice, then, you know, or like some better experience, which will override the actual um, life experiences. But I've said this a lot through sustained and dedicated practice together, we do have the possibility of having a new relationship with all experience, whatever experience arises. The ever-changing, unremitting flow of life and death. That's going to keep happening. So how do we have a new relationship with that reality? Not like a better reality. Like you don't get to escape life. Practice is not going to put you in some special room where you look down on it. Um, I remember... having a very long layover at LAX, the, the busy airport in Los Angeles one time, and the, it became longer and longer and cancel you know, all of you've been in these situations. And I was fortunate enough to go to the Admiral's Club. Um, I was flying American Airlines and so I could go in this nice quiet place and in that particular club there, uh, it straddles the concourse so you can walk across a bridge that's inside and look down and you see all the, the noise and the craziness and the chaos of a day in which flights are canceled. And I'm standing there in this quiet space, uh, you know, kind of wishing that it could be like that, but um, it doesn't really like that. And I was thinking of the three ways that I sort of bargain with it all. I don't, I don't know about you, but see what you think about these. The first one, is the most, I would say, immature one. That's not a judgment. It's just a, a fact. And this one isn't on top of the list, usually. The first one is, surely someone will save me. Surely someone's going to fix this. And most of us are kind of past this one, at least on a conscious level. We're grown up. We're going to have to take responsibility for our lives. But still, it's there. Well, but But my teacher... If I just come to inquiry or I do, you know, a lot or some special new practice or maybe a new political leader if the, once an election happens or some new medical advancement, something, 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 someone, I'm going to be saved. Some curative fantasy. Some secret practice. It's just mm, this side of magical thinking, you know, It's it's going to be fixed. But I realize that's not really going to happen. So my next one, my next go to is well, I'm just waiting for circumstances to change so I can feel better. I hope things will get back to normal so I can finally feel okay. People will come to their senses. A new administration will come. They'll fix it. People will finally realize, you know, if things change, I can feel better. And most of us know that this. Once again, somewhat immature response it doesn't work because it's, it's this ongoing thing of if only then, but the outside circumstance isn't going to be the thing that relieves us of our suffering. It's a It's a real subtle and pervasive and painful form of duality. There's me, and then there's the world. And for me to be okay, the world has to fit my expectations or take care of me. And so that's where we get this sense of betrayal. This isn't what I expected. So if if no one's going to save me and the circumstances aren't going to suddenly shift so that now I'm better because it went my way, then I can sometimes fall off in the ditch. And the third one is, uh, why practice when it's all going down the toilet anyway? And I don't make any difference. I know from my own experience and with other people, the practice does give us more access to um, Buddha nature, true self, the natural state, basic consciousness, source, whatever you want to call it, which is the place from which we can respond rather than react so much from fear, anger and sadness All the while that we feel fear, anger and sadness, you're going to feel those things. But if they aren't what is driving you, if you have more access, then practice is going to give you a way to respond differently, more choice. And this is a place from which we can embody a firm decision, which I think is a form of a vow, to be responsible for our lives, be responsible for ourselves, no matter what happens. Not, I'll practice and I'll be responsible as long as it's like this. But if that happens, all bets are off. It's like, you don't get to do that. You can, but life continues. And that's where it turns into a vow. I vow to take good care of myself, which includes everyone, of course, because we're connected, and take care of my life, no matter what happens. And then we're given qualities that issue from that vow, Uh, the Brahma loving-kindness, unconditional friendliness that we have a little more access to, compassion, a little more access to meeting suffering without turning away, Uh, equanimity, a little bit of balance, at least a little, and sympathetic joy, some sense of caring for how other people feel and their joy, not just ours. And so this is where individual practice does meet the Bodhisattva vow. Both are really crucial. I know I'm just going over things that you probably know, but I think when things get like this, I, you know, in just a little bit of history in in India, coming out of the Vedic traditions and and Hinduism and some of the other things, in that culture, self-realization and the end of suffering meant being released from a kind of nature and social forms of relating. It's like going beyond, getting out. The yogi being freed from the cycle of birth and death. The arhat freed from, uh, it's it's an individual uh, practicing really diligently to be free of all this mess. And... And the the useful, beautiful seed in that is your individual practice does matter. And then in China, human realization and the end of suffering meant realizing and expressing skillfully uh, what it's like to maintain appropriate human relationships. It was all relationality. So our practice matters. This is the Bodhisattva vow. Your practice matters. Our practice matters. These are two big strands of our practice. That's just a little bit of of history and some of my own questions. But I think one of the things we're seeing so much these days is just how vulnerable we all feel. Um... And our managers and protectors are the things that show up in this territory. We feel vulnerable, and then we have our managers and protectors that try to take care of it. If we And if we live only from those managers and protectors all the time, we maintain unnecessary suffering for ourselves and are less a healing resource in the world because we end up swamped by this deep sense of betrayal and grief. And, and I... I think that our strategies for protection then become the next next cause of suffering. There's a difference between sources and causes. That's a different Dharma talk, but <laughs> there are things that happen which are the sources, and our responses are the causes of suffering. The source doesn't cause the suffering. It's a prompt. It's a probe. It's an initiation. It's something. And then how we respond. And the three Responses that I'm most familiar with is number one, the fearful perception that life is unworkable. The refusal to face life as it is, and the demand that life be different. Very similar to those questions I was asking. You know, the fearful perception that life isn't workable, it's like, ah, this can't happen. But what we forget is this this whole thing isn't for you. It actually isn't workable to meet your expectations and the refusal to face life as it is, uh, the turning away, the turning away is the suffering. Turning toward is everything else. And the demand that life be different? Well, guess what? It will be. But not according to your demand. It will not meet your criterion. And it won't be on your timetable. But releasing this demand allows us to, the other two, meet life as it is and realize life can maybe be workable. Because the result, broadly speaking, these days is what, in that presentation that I gave a few years ago, I called a combination. It's like a a hybrid feeling that you see everywhere and you feel all around, which I call terror rage terror, rage. And I think this is, in large part, a defense against grief. Unacknowledged, horrible, searing sorrow. And the deeper it's buried, the more violent its expression. And until we're willing and able to meet vulnerability as a portal, even a strength, to show us a way forward. We will battle it, and each other, to death, literally. And practice allows us to become more intimate with our vulnerability and shows us a way to move with it and make use of it. Years ago, I I once asked... um, My mentor that you've heard me talk about so much, John Gladfelter, I said, what's the thing that's the biggest barrier in early aspects of psychotherapy? That's what I was training in. And I thought he would give me some large, complicated clinical response. And he said, uh, unacknowledged grief. That that would be the that's the thing that he sees most commonly in the way. And I, I'm going to read just a very brief piece that some of you have heard before. And it's just a little excerpt I've pulled out because the words are so beautiful. And I'd rather just listen to them move through. Uh, from Joan Sutherland, a, a teacher that some of you know, and maybe I think many of you probably have her new book. This is another, another teaching. She says, We might, through practice, learn that grief is a Buddha, Not something to learn lessons from, but the way it is sometimes. Grief is a Buddha. Joy is a Buddha. Anger is a Buddha. Peace is a Buddha. You're not meant to cure the grief Buddha, nor is it meant to cure you. You're meant to find out what it is to be part of a world that has been stained and dyed by grief and made holy by grief. He said, tears are a small ceremony keeping us close to the world. They make us less brittle, more resilient. We weep because something is pouring in and we're overflowing because it's impossible to say anything in some moments. And it's equally impossible not to offer something back. Grief is a form of love. How we go on loving in the absence of the beloved. It's the transformation of love through loss and how we are initiated into a new world. Grief is how we love in the face of loss. And remorse is how we love when we've caused harm or received harm. And right now, she says, it's difficult to imagine loving what is here or the future we believe is coming. But someday soon, we'll have to. But how can we, if we're still drenched in unacknowledged grief, unacknowledged fear, unexpressed anger, lost in guilt, shame or denial? And just a little bit more, she says, we we can't know from here what our love of what's coming will look like, but we can decide how we'll walk out to meet it. Right now we're so pregnant with the future, pregnant without entirely knowing what's about to be born. We're entering a great mystery together. We bring to this invisible ceremony our warrior skills, our hungers, our strivings, the genius of our minds, all the things that got us here, hoping we'll do something different with them this time perhaps we could also bring washed hearts humbled by what we've done and a willingness to follow love wherever it takes us as we step into the great ceremony of the rest of our lives <clears throat> and as often happens there are uh, grace moments even this morning which was a, a difficult morning Um, uh, for me and for a lot of things surrounding me. And I quickly, as I often do, am scanning my email to see if there's anything I have to take care of. And there was a message from uh, Trudy, Trudy Johnson. And as often as there's a, a poem, and it seems that it was what I was thinking about, um, so I'll, I'll have her raise her hand and read it as the ending of, of what we're speaking about today, just to add it to the, the mix. I know it's a lot, but that's what I'm moving through today. Yeah, you are. Thanks for uh, your offering this morning. And if you have anything to say about this before you read it, you can certainly.
1: Um, I had been reading Joan Sutherland's book on Cohen's.
0: For the new one,
1: yeah. And, yeah, there's something about the lyricism of what she said that just seemed to open something. Um, So, um, and I'd, uh, there's a, I can't remember whether it's by Alan Watts or Ram Dass, but it's like a wave is an expression of ocean. Mm uh, and so that was in my mind too. So um, that's kind of where it came from.
0: And you're in a holiday on a na- in a natural environment somewhere too, right?
1: Yeah, it's just glorious here. We're we're on a not holiday. It's not a holiday. <laughs> it's it's a it's a stopping, um, which we both really needed to do. And we're surrounded by this wild uh, little wild meadow of daisies and poppies and um it's it's really beautiful here
0: it's so good to see you josh too good (laughs) to see you yeah good to see everybody
1: yeah so um if wave is an expression of ocean and tree is an expression of land then we are an expression of what if i say to you everything We are an expression of everything. The great swell of life's beauty loving itself. The music entering my body's yearning. The light wrapping round my ears, filling them beyond the constant hiss I hear. The way the daisies stretch their hands to say, take me in. The smoky sucking on the dry wood. The cobwebs of old life illuminated in fleeting sunlight the distant roar of unwelcome news. If I could say this, this listening to everything, this giving honour to everything, could you say, yes, yes, I will listen to hear my part and stretch out my body like a daisy to offer my part? Because of course you are, (laughs) whether you've offered your willing consent or not. Life only wants you to agree to what is already and always happening.
0: But because, of course, you are.
1: <laughs> because you are.
0: You've offered yourself willing consent or not. Life only wants you to agree to what is already and always happening. Thank you. Thank you. And others might have things moving that they would like to bring forward. So, please raise your hand. that yeah, Jill.
2: Hello. This is the first time I've huh? come to speak with you directly.
0: I had a big rush of something going through you. Eh? Yeah,
2: no, lots of um, Well, my heart's pounding, and yeah. Mm. So I felt really um, a lot of resonance with what you were saying. Um, I feel I'm on a real edge around um, where my heart's closed. And I think what I'm aware of is how I haven't sufficiently honoured my heart. When I'm hurt. Um, When you're hurt? Yeah, when someone hurts me. Right. I think, and I feel really stirred by that. Um, So there was something, you know, of that faithful, loving, and... You know, to be so faithful to my heart, not to nurse it for unnecessary means, but to really know the truth of it, and to honor, and to bring it into the light in whatever way that might be.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's the <clears throat> the loving, tender interior territory of being what i was calling responsible for oneself
3: yeah um
0: to be initiated into that to, to and, and to be intimate in the way that you're feeling right now
2: yeah and and i think to have the courage to, to speak it as well um
0: it's it's interesting because we can, in a mm, almost philosophical or theological way, talk about, you know, taking refuge in Buddhist terms. But you're expressing it in the most heartfelt, embodied way.
2: Yeah.
0: It's like, can we return to the, the, the beauty of our own nature, our own heart? Mm-hmm. Can we return to the way things actually move in that territory that we can move into a deep communication with the dharma of our own heart and can we speak it and connect with other people then it's real then it's alive
2: yeah and so and i imagine or i know actually but you know i'm I'm at a deeper level with this that then i'm i am just more available there's more of me here Mm -hmm. um
0: that's right Is that what you're experiencing right now?
2: With you, yeah. I mean I'm yeah.
0: There's more of you here now. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yes. Thank you for that reflection because it's really encouraging and instructive for others too.
2: Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for your words. Well, well, thank you
0: for your courage. There you go.
4: Oh hi there. Um, it's so interesting that a lot of what you were talking about has been on my mind. I guess not surprisingly, considering the way things are, but I guess as you say, things are always bubbling up, right? So so what's what I've been thinking about is um uh, well just thinking about so many things that i'm i'm feeling a lot of um i wouldn't call it personal suffering necessarily but just i'm i'm feeling so sad about so many things that are going on you know and disturbed
0: that suffering
4: that suffering yes so i've been thinking a lot about that and and um and then this the latest news uh, from texas more people being killed, uh, the migrants and, and the trucks was just like, took me over the edge, sort of. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but in the meantime, I've been also thinking about um, there's so much in this world, so much work to be done, you know? And I think um, I start thinking about what I'm doing, you know, being reflective about that. And, and where am I in this and what, um, you know, am I being useful? Am I being helpful to, uh, you know, is there, is, is, if one of my goals, if you want to say that is to, to encourage others.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Your deepest aspirations.
4: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, feel like I really need to look at that, you know, if, mm-hmm. How am I doing? Yeah, that's I have to figure that out. So, um, but anyway, that's where I've gone with this, and, and just thinking it's so important to to really. I mean, this is the time to really <clears throat> um, to really look at that and 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 figure out where what's what's the best use of me. as Peg says.
0: Uh, you may have heard me say this, but what's calling to mind is. When I was talking to Vicki Austin, when we were doing the transmission ceremonies, one day she was speaking about the last evening she was with Blanche before she died the next day. Mm. And, and Blanche said, before uh, Vicky left, she said, let's spend a few minutes checking our intentions, our aspiration. That was the last thing she talked about.
1: Mm.
0: Just keep coming back, keep checking. What? What? what okay, where, where am I? What, where, What's the conversation I'm in with life now? Yeah. Even on her last day.
4: Mm.
0: So thank you, thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hello, Mary.
3: Hi. I don't really know why I've come up except that I keep feeling the grief.
0: I see it in your eyes right away.
3: It started when you you had us imagine other people with us when we were sitting. And especially the bit you said about a warm body.
0: Do you miss that warm body? I do. The one that you lost.
3: I do. But that's not the end of it. No. That opened something up that's bigger. Yes. It's more about it. in the longing, is the love, is the connection. Because I also feel the connection.
0: Yeah. Because in the love, that actually can't be broken. I've lost your audio for some reason.
3: Oh.
0: Oh, there we go. We're back. Thank
3: you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I, I feel it with everyone.
0: Good. That's the foundation of what it leads us to if we follow the invitation and the initiation into that territory, which you're demonstrating your willingness to do.
3: That's why it came up, because I like Trudy's poem about being the daisy. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not that I have something particular to say, (laughs)
0: <laughs> you're you're saying quite beautifully particular things.
3: <laughs> it's...
0: You know that line said, the way the daisies stretched their hands to say, take me in. And that's all I hear you saying.
3: Yeah. I feel such love and grief for the world
0: grief is a form of love that's right and that's an appropriate response to what we see around us and my whole intention today and i know you've you're moving with it and jill spoke about it and and also Lori is how not to let that grief to, to meeting the grief is the portal to what's possible turning away from the grief is what adds to the suffering
3: all the beauties there too, and all the connection.
0: Right, right, and I think that's what Trudy's poem was inviting, of course, and that you're resonating with deeply. That's that's what I meant by allowing vulnerability to be the open door, not the thing to turn away from and fix, but it's the, it's the path. But you really feel it? Yes, a lot of the horror and terror and violence we see around us is what it looks like when that's buried. And there's an unwillingness to meet the vulnerability. You literally lash out and kill each other to to not have to meet it. So this is a very courageous direction and necessary one for us. Mm -hmm. Thank you. There you are.
5: There I am. Um, um, Mary's sharing with us has really touched me. And it prompted me to share a little bit myself. So, little story. I uh, This last weekend, I went to uh, a birthday dinner with my two daughters, just the three of us. And... We had a good time. We laughed. We talked about family events that had been happening. Um, we don't talk about politics or current events, you know, uh, during this dinner at all. And then on the way home, my oldest daughter, as we're driving the three of us in the car said, I have to say that I've been really out of sorts lately. Like something's wrong, really, really wrong. And it opened it up in the car. All three of us were able to talk about how we felt about recent current events with uh, Supreme Court decisions and uh, gun violence. And but you know, from a woman's point of view, I mean, because all three of us are women, and um, we got to rant a little bit. <laughs> we got to talk about our feelings. We got to confess and avow. I did anyway, that I'd been feeling the same way only instead of talking about it with anybody, I was kind of leaking it in my relationship with my husband who I felt couldn't possibly understand what I was feeling, even though he was sympathetic. And uh, we left the evening um, feeling lighter in some way. So I think this actually bringing out um, what uh, this deep grief that we were feeling and just sharing, just opening it.
0: No longer buried.
5: Right, was very, very important. Um, uh, I meditate, I meet with spiritual groups. We discuss life as it is and uh, all those things, but just this very specific uh, grief needed to be shared. Yes. I mean it without without how can you say it? It wasn't like we were reveling in it or rolling right. around in it. Just opening it.
0: Yes, there's a an upright if you think about your zaza, there's an upright, a wholesome posture and of integrity in which it can flow, which is different than falling into a, a victim stance or a persecutory uh you know we're trying to fix all those drama triangle pieces you know n- none of that gaminess there's a actually an upright wholesome way to meet this with each other and that's part of the territory we're attempting to uh, to help each other walk walk through
5: yes it felt authentic um in a in a, in a way without um lapsing into self-pity or blame and anger, although some of that came out. In a way, it was just, it was.
0: Well, you're familiar with internal family systems language. When we can let all the parts speak Mm -hmm. without identifying and thinking that's who we are, but just let them speak. Yes. But maintain our larger self, then there's space.
5: Right. There was even space for laughter. Of course, at the, end, at the at the end of it, and um, the, the other phrase that has been coming to mind—it it came to mind last night in our uh, uh, discussion group on Monday nights—is let what comes come, let what goes go, and all of this is somehow tied into life as it is, the only teacher, mm-hmm. being just this moment. Yes, you know That's- so. All of that has just kind of come together for me, and it's all been very helpful. So.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for that very embodied story about what it means to bring vulnerability forward in a wholesome way so that it doesn't turn into something else. Right. Oh, Sheila.
6: Hi there. Hi, Flint.
0: I haven't seen you in such a long time.
6: I know. Well, I'm here. It's so nice to
0: see you and hear you.
6: So nice to see you and everyone else. Um, I have a spiritual group that I meet with, you know, about for the last 15 years or so. We meet every Monday for several hours and we're reading right now the book, uh, Be Angry by the Dalai Lama. And um, just one comment about that. I, As we're reading through it, we're finding that the Dalai Lama is not doesn't seem too pleased with Zen Buddhism in particular. <laughs> he spends a little time, uh, talking about Zen. And I didn't know if you knew about that or if you had any insight into that.
0: I don't know what particular things he's speaking about.
6: Yeah. Yeah.
0: The Qualities that he, uh, attributes to it that you might find not, not wholesome.
6: Right. And then, and some things that are in total opposite of what we've learned all these years from you. Um, that he says Zen's, Zen Buddhists feel this way or believe this. And, and that hasn't been our experience with you. But in the book, Be Angry, he says um, to be angry. And I found, um, because that pushes us towards social action and towards movement and towards act, action. But I found recently, I, I think it was maybe Uvalde that that did it for me as a, I just felt like I couldn't be angry anymore about so many things. I don't feel like we're meant to know this much about the world and the news and the 24 hour news cycle and that it's just overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Lori just said in this new, some latest shooting in Texas or something, and, and I don't know anything about it because I turned the news off. Um, I've decided that I just want to be angry about a certain, some one certain, you know, I mean, I have feelings about lots of things, but like I've chosen one thing in particular, perhaps women's around women's issues. And, um, and so maybe I'll read about, I'll, I'll learn, I want to read the court ruling, uh, in whole. So there's that, but I feel somewhat guilty that I'm not, um, knowing about everything that people, you know, the news does leak out and you, of course you're in the waiting room and something's on and, but so you, I just,
0: you just said something really important. Yeah. That we we can't know everything and actually we're exposed to too much.
6: Yeah.
0: And so we, that's part of being responsible. It's a little bit like taking care of our heart. Like we started with,
6: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: how do you be responsive? But part of being responsive is realizing now I'm overwhelmed. Yes. And this is too much. And I would say, um, I don't know what the Dalai Lama wrote. I would say uh, I'm not suggesting that people take on anger as a stance, but I think it's really important to let whatever those powerful energies are in you flow in a way so they can find a a useful channel.
6: Yes.
0: The arousal of fiery energy can be useful if it has an appropriate channel. It can be extremely destructive. Of course it can be horrible. Uh, but if it, if you can use that arousal of energy and channel it appropriately, then it can be really, really useful.
6: Yeah. But if
0: we're overwhelmed, we become less resourceful. Yeah. And then yeah. We, can use, we can't use the energy that's aroused.
6: Right. I found I was attached to knowing uh, about the current events and then, of course, having an opinion about those. Um, the dopamine hit I get from that news cycle. It, yeah. it, you know, what to do with your time when you're not... Uh, taking time for that it's like oh you know i've gotten a lot done
0: <laughs> we, we certainly realize the uh, somewhat addictive quality of the, what you call the dopamine the excitement cycle mm-hmm. and this is um as we come to the end of our time now i know the we i, I say this often we live in a culture that elevates excitement over intimacy mm-hmm quick big powerful next we go to that all the time that's easy instead of quieting down and touching what's here which we can't do if we're overwhelmed and and mad and con- you know going all over the place all the time so thank you for speaking for that
6: well thank you that was really helpful thanks Flint.
0: But i'm just so pleased that you came forward thank you
6: so good to see you yeah
0: so together let's uh Use our voices for the Poor Practice Principles to remind us of what we've spoken of today. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Thank you so much.
4: Thank you so much, everyone. and Thank you, Flint. Alpamada's programs and facilities are um, made possible by everyone's generosity. And if you'd like to make a contribution, I will put that link in the uh, chat window. And if you have time now you can stay around uh, for after inquiry on the porch with Maria. Thank you all.